Welcome to the Connection Point Church Podcast. We hope to be an encouragement throughout your week. New episodes are available every Sunday evening and Thursday evening. We also invite you to join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. tonight. Uh, again, thank you all you who served and helped at our tent revival. It was awesome. And check out our social media for the recap videos and uh, get into that. Amen. All right, we're going to get into the word of the Lord here. We're going to continue in our series on the book of Hebrews. Amen. How many remember we were we are uh, taking a look at the book of Hebrews and we're going to get into the book of Hebrews tonight. We're going to continue in our list on the the Hall of Fame of Faith. And so I want to redirect your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to get back into Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to continue. Last week we started on this list that the author of Hebrews gave us. Uh, He gave us two lists in Hebrews chapter 11 that is is, uh, famously called the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. In Hebrews 11 here, the author of Hebrews is building a case, making a case in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better. And that really is the theme of the book of Hebrews, that, that the whole entire premise of, of the author of Hebrews writing this book is to just declare, to proclaim, to, to make the case that Jesus is better, that he is a better messenger than the angels, amen, that he is a better moderator than Moses, that Jesus is a better mediator than the priests, that Jesus is a better method of sacrifice than those Old Testament animal sacrifices, that Jesus is a better monument of worship than the tabernacle or the temple. And that therefore, we have a better basis of religion. Rather, instead of religion, we have a faith-filled relationship. That's why Jesus is better. We don't have just some dead, dull, dry religion. Amen. How many are thankful for that? I came out of one of those. I came out of a, out of religion. I, I would go to, I would go to church. I'm not knocking anyone's faith, but I would go to mass on Sundays when we would go to mass, and it got to a point where you could just about rehearse the whole service. I didn't even understand what I was talking about most of the time, but I knew the, I knew the flow. I knew the 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 rhythm. It was a, it was a ritual. But how many are thankful that we have something better than just religion and ritual? Amen. We have a relationship with God. Relationship with Jesus. Amen. And that's really what this book is about. We have relationship with Jesus Christ. And and so the author of Hebrews, some believe to be Paul, some believe to be Barnabas, some believe to be this... This interesting figure in Scripture named Apollos, he was an eloquent preacher, and he was had a formal education from Alexandria, Egypt, and he arrives on the scene in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 18 and 19, preaching and teaching, and makes an impact in the, in the church in that first century, and now we believe, many, most scholars believe that uh, he is writing this book of Hebrews to, to proclaim that he, that Jesus is better than what we had in the religion of the Jews, that he is our great high priest. And as he's made this case, he comes to the place in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in 10 and into 11, 
where he begins to just really expound upon the basis of our relationship with God, which is not ritual, which is not religion, which is not uh, just a, a, a list of boxes that you have to check off, but rather it's faith in God, faith in Christ. And he begins to expound upon the power and the importance of living by faith. And so we find this list in Hebrews 11, and, 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 and the author of Hebrews expounds upon this idea of faith. And so I want to turn your attention back to Hebrews 11, verses 1 through about 12. We'll read this, and then we'll get into our next um, hero of the faith, a man by the name of Enoch, one of the most interesting people in Scripture. My Lord, I can't even do it justice, but we're going to try. So here we go. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, all right? It's the evidence of things you haven't seen. In other words, it's an alternative to this false notion in our secular world and society today that you can't believe anything, you can't trust anything, you can't know anything apart from empirical data. Remember that book I told you about a few weeks ago by Timothy Keller about faith and how there's a misconception in our world today that unless you have empirical data and you can verify it, test it, repeat it, observe it, subject it to experimentation, then, then you really can't trust it. But this author, Timothy Keller, makes the case that we all, uh, people of faith and people without faith, or people who are religious or not religious, that we all live and understand and operate by both faith and reason. That to, 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 to be a Christian takes both reasoning and faith. To be an atheist takes both reasoning and faith. That even the most devout atheists have things that they believe, things for opinions, they form morality that has shaped their thoughts and their worldview that is not based upon empirical data, but based upon things that they cannot prove, they cannot test, they cannot repeat, they cannot observe, they cannot subject into experimentation. And one example of this we find in verse 3, it says, Verse 3, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. That's important because you can't go back to when the worlds were framed, when the earth was created, when the universe was shaped and formed, and repeat that experiment. You don't have that liberty. You can't put that in a, in a science lab and test it and observe it and subject it to experimentation. But you still, your thoughts, your opinions, your theories are not based upon your empirical data, but upon faith. You have faith in your theory of evolution or a Big Bang, or you have faith in the Word of God. And we know as Christians, our faith is in God's Word. Amen? How many are thankful for the Word of God? The Word of God is what we put our faith in. Amen? We put our faith in God's Word. We base our beliefs upon God's Word. We shape our worldview upon God's Word. Because what does the Bible say? The flower fades. Amen. The grass withers. Political perspectives change. Popular culture shifts. Uh, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. And so we'll just go and stand on God's word. So let's, I better just keep going here. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We talked about Abel last week, remember? Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts though it being dead still speaks. Verse 5, and we're going to talk about this tonight. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found 
because God had taken him away. What does that mean? For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God, that by faith you can have a testimony that you please God. Isn't that good news? Verse 6, but without faith, here it is, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, in other words, that God is God, that God is who he says he is. And furthermore, not only do you need to have a belief and a faith that God is, but you also must have a belief and a faith that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seeks him. That is big. That means that you got to have a faith. If you come to God, your faith has to extend past the point of just believing the Bible or believing that God is who he says he is. Because most people, most Christians, they have an understanding Hopefully that God is who he says he is. That most of us, our faith will allow us to believe that God is God, that he's omnipotent, that he's omniscient, that he knows all things, that he's all-powerful, that God can do all things. He can do it every one. He's God. Amen? Now here's where your faith has to go beyond just knowing that God is who he says he is or that God is. But now your faith, in order to please God, you have to believe that he is also a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. What does that mean? That, that your faith has to have more than just the capacity to know that God can. I know God can heal. I know that God can deliver. I know that God, God can save. But as a Christian, as someone who has a relationship with Jesus, your faith has to say not only can he, but he will. He desires. He loves me. He will help me. He will make a way for me. He will reward my diligence. Even though I don't see it right now, if I'll just keep on walking with God and trusting God and believing God, He will reward those who diligently seek Him. Keep going. Verse 7. We're going to, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with a godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah had faith. It saved him and his family. Abraham had faith and he obeyed God. He left where he was to venture out into a place that God was going to call him that he had never been. Sometimes your faith is going to take you to places that you've never experienced. But that was the faith of Abraham. Amen. Verse, Keep going. Verse 10. I want to move. For he waited for the city which he had a foundation, which builder and maker is God. He, he just trusted God to lead his life, to guide his life. Verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive a child, and she bore a child. And when she was past the age, because she judged him who was faithful, who had promised. She just knew that God was going to be faithful and take care of her needs, and that, and that this child in her was bigger than just her. It was God had a plan and a purpose. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born many as the stars of the sky and the multitude. Amen. And so all of these people uh, experienced victories in their life. They overcome challenges in their life. They, they wrought great victories in their life. They, they obtained promises in their life. They, they, they inherited land because of their faith. All of these people experienced great blessings and great benefits, overcome challenges because of their faith. And so tonight we're going to take a look at, we looked at last week the faith of Abel, and we looked at what it means to just to present a life or an offering that is acceptable to God. And we were not going to get into it, spend much time, but I just want to remind you, last week's our, was the first figure that this author of Hebrews gave. And, and Abel's faith taught us that the hard lesson that compared to his brother Cain, not every lifestyle, not every offering is pleasing to God. If you recall from last week, Abel had an offering that was pleasing to God. 
because it was of the first. It was the, of the fat of the flock. It was the best. It was, it was demonstrating that Abel made God the priority, that, that, that Abel's offering demonstrated that Abel had a faith and a belief that God was worthy of his best. Whereas Cain brought an offering, just kind of whatever was left over, just kind of whatever he could grab, just kind of whatever was just kind of laying around. And he brought, what, he brought an offering to God, but it wasn't his best. It wasn't his first. It wasn't his priority. It wasn't preeminent. It didn't demonstrate a faith in God that says, God, you're my priority. It was just kind of whatever's left over. And it taught us the difficult truth that God is not always pleased with our lifestyle or with an offering. God wants to be first in your life. Amen? What is the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with what? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. God wants to be first in your life. That is what pleases God. When you say, God, you're the priority in my schedule, you're the priority in my, in my family, you're the priority in my life, you are first and foremost in my life. Amen. But Abel tells us, even though it teaches us this hard truth, he shows us, Abel shows us that faith can inspire us to live a life that's pleasing to God. And so let's get into this study on Enoch, all right? Let's get into Enoch. Enoch is a very interesting person in Scripture. I don't know if I could even do justice to Enoch tonight. Uh, I would like to because uh, I just recently read a, a book about Enoch. But we're going to take a look here. This man by the name of Enoch in Scripture. Now, Enoch is an interesting person in the Word of God. Uh, the Bible mentions Enoch just a few times. Uh, it's mentioned just, he's mentioned just a few times. He's mentioned briefly three times in the Bible, but he's also mentioned extensively in a non-canonical -canon -can <laughs> non book or writing. What does that mean? It's a book that is not included in your Bible, but that the Bible actually quotes and references. Now, did you know that there are certain books that were used as commentary in the days when Jesus was on the earth and the, and the apostles and the Jews and the scholars and the scribes who, who were godly people. Um, and, and they used these commentaries, they used these books called non-canonical -can books or extra-biblical books. And some of them were more prevalent than others. They were not inspired by the Holy Spirit and included in the canon of our Scripture. But they were very much, we, we, we can tell that they were very much impactful, significant, and influential in the time when the Scripture was, was being um, written by the apostles, and they were influential, and so there was some credibility. And we're going to look at that and just, we're going to talk about that in a second. But let's take a look at what the Bible says about this man, Enoch's faith, now let's just say Enoch, Enoch is not mentioned very often, but he obviously was a very significant figure, all right? And we're going to talk about that. Let's take a look at the, the first reference of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5 here. Genesis chapter 5, this is the first mention of Enoch in the Bible. And Enoch was um, an individual that's mentioned briefly. And it says that Enoch walked with God. That's a good thing, Amen. You ought to walk with God. Enoch walked with God, and it says that not only did he walk with God, but he fathered Methuselah 300 years. Now, back in these days, people lived a long time. In fact, um, I've heard 
actually really interesting teaching on this, uh, that before the flood, that, uh, that people lived a very long time. And um, I'm not even going to try to get into it, but they think that something happened with the flood that caused uh, the lifespans to shorten. And as a result, people lived much, much less. And so he fathered this Methuselah, who happened to be the oldest person recorded in Scripture. He lived 969 years, Methuselah did, and other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And so Enoch walked with God for 365 years. Amen. Sometimes we have a hard time walking with God through the week. Amen. But Enoch did it for 365 years. My goodness. And Enoch walked with God. Get this. Now, here's what's so interesting about Enoch's life. And then he was not. He disappeared. They couldn't find him. For God took him. Now, that's an unusual scripture, but the Bible expounds upon that. All right? Expounds upon that later on. And so we find a few things about Enoch. Number one, Enoch was a godly man. He walked with God for his entire life. And that he's, his life was pleasing to God in, a, in an ungodly and a, in a corrupt culture so that God actually took him. What does that mean? Let's take a look again at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 through 6. This is the next mention of Enoch, where the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes this figure in Scripture that's only mentioned in a couple verses, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit begins to pull him out and expound upon his life in a way that would inspire faith for us today. For it says, by faith Enoch was taken up. Here it is. He's He's kind of drawing on that fact that he was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. In other words, Enoch was living in an ungodly culture. He was living in a corrupt culture. In fact, this was just, uh, just a little bit before God actually brought judgment on the earth. In the days of Noah, Enoch was the great-grandfather of, of Noah. And so the world was becoming more and more detached from God. It was becoming more and more corrupt, more and more immoral, more and more just ungodly. And Enoch was walking with God in the middle of an ungodly culture. And yet he pleased God, and so much so that God rewarded his diligent faith. He was taken. He was rewarded for his faithfulness. All right? And so we find this in the Scripture. And so there's some unique qualities about Enoch that we, that we find here in the Word of the Lord. And that, you know, Enoch had, a, had an interesting family lineage. Let's pull up that next, uh, that next, uh, that, that next slide here. He, he was unique in that he was the seventh generation from Adam, and that he was the great-grandfather of Noah. And so he, he had a unique family lineage, but he lived in a very ungodly culture that, that God was ultimately going to judge. We find, this in, we find Enoch's story in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 6. So much so that the Bible, the Bible says that that generation was going to be like the generation that Christ is going to return to. The world is going to be full of corruption and immorality and ungodliness and, 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 and violence. And, and yet in the midst of an ungodly culture, Enoch was walking with God. And as a result, instead of letting Enoch die, he was instead taken to heaven so that he would not see death, that he pleased God in such a way that God did something unique in Enoch's life. He rewarded Enoch in a unique way in that he rewarded him by not allowing him to taste death, but he took him, the Bible says, so that he wouldn't experience death. Now, a couple things here I think we need to understand about this. 
is that when Hebrew says in verse 6, Hebrews 11, 5, and 6 of Enoch, it says that Enoch's faith was remarkable because Enoch's faith demonstrated that those who come to God must believe that God is and that God is also a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's what it attributes to the faith of Enoch, that, that without faith it's impossible to please God. Just like Enoch, Enoch pleased God because he had faith, but he didn't have a faith just to believe that God is. The Bible says that even the devils believe in God, that even the devils believe in Jesus, that you can believe in Jesus, you can believe in the Bible, you can believe in the Scripture, you can believe all of the right things, but unless your faith extends just past a mental ascent and understanding of the Scripture and the things of God and gets into a place of obedience and trust and love and relationship, then you are not fully living in the dimension of faith that God wants you to because not only must you believe that He is, but you've got to have enough faith to believe that He is a rewarder of those who will diligently seek Him. You see, Enoch's life is an inspiration to us because it teaches us that by faith we can live a life of diligence with an understanding that our diligence is not going to be forgotten about. It's not going to be cast aside. It's not going to be cast by the wayside. It's not going to be put to loss. But our faith and diligence in God will be rewarded. I want to tell you something tonight. I just feel the Holy Ghost to tell somebody in this place tonight that your faithfulness to God is not forgotten. But your faithfulness to God comes with a reward. God sees your faithfulness. God sees your labor. God sees your diligence. God sees your perseverance. God sees your prayer. God sees your hope. God sees your worship. God sees your perseverance in serving Him and trusting Him. And the faith that you've got to have to know not only is God a God that can, but He is a God that will. You've got to have that in your spirit you got to know that if I'm going to serve God, if I'm living for God, God is going to see me. God's going to take care of me. God's going to make a way for me. God is going to reward my faith and my faithfulness. You see, what I have found is that more often than not, Christians don't have a problem. Church people don't have a problem believing that God can. Oh, I've heard that He's healed others. I know He can do this. I know He can help. I know he, I've heard what He's done for other people. I know He can bless other people. I know He can provide for others. I've heard, I know God can. But the faith of Enoch that was pleasing and that was rewarded was a faith that said not only can God, but God will. In other words, back to our original point, we have something better than a religion. We have a relationship with God for ourselves. And that relationship with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. And that means that Jesus, not only can He, but He will. He's going to do it for me. He didn't just, He's not only going to do it for others, He's going to do it for me. He will help me. He will bless me. He will hear my prayer. He will hear my cry. He will make a way. He will provide. You've got to get a faith in your spirit that says God can and God will. Is that okay tonight? God can and God will. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. All right? And so as Enoch is walking with God, serving God, being faithful to God, not just for a season of his life, not just after some inspiration from a, you know, a good Bible study or a good church service or an encouraging just you know, experience in life. Sometimes we, you know, we'll serve God when things are going all right and going well, and everything's going good. I'll tell you, it's hard to serve God when things are not going good. 
and not going all right. And actually, sometimes it's reversed. Sometimes it's easier to serve and trust God when you don't have anyone else to serve and trust. You don't have any other options. You don't have any other uh, anyone to lean on. And so you can get close to God in those seasons, but when things go great and things go right and you've got options and you've got money and you've got time and you've got popularity, that's when it gets hard to serve God. But Enoch wasn't like that. Enoch served God in the good times and in the bad times, in the dry times and in the abundant times. Enoch walked with God for 365 years. He was faithful. And what that tells us is that Enoch's faith inspired him to walk with God for his entire life. I want to just encourage you tonight that if you haven't already made up your mind that you're going to serve the Lord for your whole life, come on, that I want to just encourage you that you've got to make up your mind. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve God no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way. I'm living for God. I'm in this for the long haul. Amen? Amen. And so God rewarded that faith. You've got to live with an expectation and an expectancy that God is going to see your faithfulness and that God is going to reward your diligence and your faithfulness to God. Now, that doesn't mean he's a genie in a bottle. That doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. But that means God is going to be a rewarder of those who would diligently seek him. And we find that Enoch's faith and faithfulness and his life that was pleasing to God resulted in God rewarding him in a unique and an interesting way that has direct ramifications on our spiritual realities today. Because the Bible says instead of letting Enoch die, he was instead taken to heaven. He was snatched up. That's the word. That's what it means. He was taken. He was snatched. He was removed. God literally took this man Enoch didn't allow him to die, took him from the earth and took him to heaven so that he would not taste death. And what this is, interestingly enough, is a picture of the rapture. This is a picture of our hope and our reward and our expectation for a life of faithful service to God. Do you see that? Enoch was a foreshadow of the rapture of God's faithful. Now, this is an interesting, um, you know, topic in the Scripture. The word rapture really is, it's a unique doctrine. It is a core doctrine of the Scripture. There is no, uh, there is no Christian group denomination that I know of that does not believe in the rapture. The rapture is a fundamental doctrine of the Bible. And the rapture simply means that it is a, it is a teaching in the Scripture. And we're going to look at some of the texts here. There's several, but that there is coming a day where Jesus is going to return to this earth. The Bible is very clear about this. And just like how Enoch was taken for living a life of faithfulness in the midst of an ungodly culture, that there is coming a day where the Bible says, we're going to read it, Jesus is going to return to this earth. He's going to appear in the sky, and he's actually going to take those who have died in Christ and those who are actually still alive, that there will be some saints, some Christians who will be walking on the earth, and in a moment, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, they will be taken to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What an incredible hope that we have as a reward for a life of faithfulness to God. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4.13. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to the, to the church in Thessalonica because they have some questions about the about the, the end days and the end times, just like our study on Sunday nights. And so he's, caught, he's, he's writing them to kind of clear up <clears throat> some of their misconceptions about it. And he says this, but we, do want, we don't want you to be uninformed, all right? 
We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep. This word asleep means that they've died. They're the believers, but they've died. Their bodies are asleep. They're resting. Um, but he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. In other words, when a believer, a saint, a Christian dies, we don't have to grieve them like we would a non-believer because we know even though their body is in the grave, their spirit is alive with Christ and that they're going to be resurrected to eternal life. And so uh, we don't want you to grieve. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, get this, now this is Enoch, this is our hope, this is how Enoch's life translates to our spiritual reality, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Look at this, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry or with a shout of a command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God, and get this, here's what's going to happen. The dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, Jesus is going to come back. The Bible says he's going to split the eastern sky, that the whole world is going to see him like lightning from one end of the sky to the other, that, that, that he is going to appear, that he's going to appear in the clouds or in the heavens, and that in a moment there's going to be a shout, the voice of an archangel, and all of a sudden the dead, those who were in living in faith, living a faithful life in Christ until the point of their death and were buried, that they are going to come out of the grave. Just like in the Gospels, the Bible says that when Jesus went down into, into uh, when he died and he was buried, that faithful, that, and he was resurrected, that he ascend, resurrected, that the Bible says that there were some of the faithful believers who were seen walking around Jerusalem. It's in your Gospels. Literally, they, they, they were resurrected. And so what we're finding here is that there's going to come a day where those who have died or gone to sleep in the Lord, they are actually going to come out of their graves. And we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, so shall we always be with the Lord. We will be caught up together with them, those who are alive and remain. That in other words, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to appear in the sky. The dead in Christ are going to res- come out of their graves. They're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we which are alive and remain, like Enoch, will be caught up, taken, or raptured to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And what does he say? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That, In other words, that you have a reward for living a faithful and a diligent life for Jesus Christ. That just like Enoch, who served God for his whole life, for 365 years, he lived for God, he served God, And God rewarded his faithfulness, rewarded his diligence by not allowing him to taste death. So too are those believers in Christ. We have a hope of of an eternal reward that whether we are alive or whether we are in the grave, that there is coming a day where we are going to hear the trumpet of God, the call of God, and whether we are in the grave or walking on the earth, that we are going to be raptured and resurrected to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look what Matthew said. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. <clears throat> but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. That's why I don't get into post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib debates. For as the days of Noah, here it is. This is the days of Enoch, all right? The days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Just like when Enoch was alive. You see the parallel here? Verse 38. 
For in those days before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. In other words, the world was just going about doing the worldly things. But then there was this man by the name of Noah who was building an ark for the saving of his family. And they were unaware until the flood came, just like the rapture. They didn't know the rapture was, they didn't know Jesus was going to come back. And it swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. He's going to come back. The world's not going to be looking for him. The church is going to be taken out. And they were aware until the flood came and swept them all away. Verse 40. Then here, get this. Look at this. Then two men will be in the field. On that day, two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. The one will be taken and the other one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not left his house to be broken into. Amen. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. In other words, here's the point. That just like Enoch... He lived a life of faithfulness and diligence that was pleasing to God for 365 years. Enoch's faith inspired him to walk with God for his whole life. He didn't fall asleep at the wheel. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't get down and out and decide to just throw in the towel and quit serving God. He made up his mind that he was going to live for God for 365 years until the Lord came or until he quit breathing. And so we too must allow our faith to inspire us just like Enoch to live for God for our entire life. We can't fall asleep. We can't get discouraged. We can't get dismayed. We can't get distracted. We've just got to keep on keeping on. Amen? Amen. Now Enoch, I want to just mention this. I should have, I know I don't have much time, but I want to just throw this in here. I want to just say this because it's interesting to me, and uh, <clears throat> we got chilly in just a minute, and so I can shut down here uh, But in just a minute. But Enoch, not only is he mentioned in the Bible, that's the point, is that Enoch's faith inspires us to live our entire life in faithfulness to God. But Enoch is also referenced extensively in non-canonical books, all right? In non-canonical books. There is a book, has anyone ever heard of the book of Enoch? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the book. Has anyone ever read the book of Enoch? It's, it's, it's an interesting book. Now, I'm going to tell you, um, I, I've, I recently ordered it, and uh, <clears throat> I've read it. And um, let me tell you why it's interesting, and I'm not going to spend much time. I wish I could. But the book of Enoch is not included in the Bible. Um, it's believed to have been written about 200 years before the time of Christ. But the book of Enoch basically tells a story about the time of Noah, about the days of Noah. And it's, it's a wild story. And it fills in a lot of the just really puzzling verses in Genesis 5 and 6 that have led many theologians to debate about the Bible. And I'm, I'm not going to build a doctrine about it. But the reason that it's interesting and the reason why I'm referencing it is because it's not just some book out there that tells a wild story about the days of Noah and the intermingling of angels and, and humans, but it's also, the reason it's of importance is because it's actually quoted in the Bible twice, this book of Enoch. And it's quoted in Jude and it's quoted in Second Peter. And let's read those real quick. I'll tell you quickly the story of Enoch, but... 
Basically, the story of Enoch, according to the book of Enoch, that is quoted twice in the Bible, referenced in other places, is that Enoch was not only a godly man and a faithful man, but that Enoch was a prophet of God in that day. And, and here's what's interesting, is the book of Enoch tells a very detailed story of an occasion where there was not only the rebellion of Satan from heaven, but it tells of, a, of an additional rebellion of angels who rebelled against God on a second occasion. And this group of angels, and it names a couple of them, that they decided they were what the Bible or what the book of Enoch referred to as the watchers. In other words, they were a part of God's holy council that we see in Job and other places where God actually has dialogue about the affairs of mankind, makes decisions based to determine man's fate. And there's a group of angels, the scripture references, I don't have time to get into it, that God actually dialogues and uses to to carry out his will in the affairs of mankind. And there were a group of angels that were in this category referred to as the watchers who were a part of that team that God has that, if you want to put it like this in just very simplistic terms, were, were, were messengers to carry out God's will in the affairs of mankind who, this is what, this, this is what the book of Enoch tells us, and again, take it with a grain of salt, but it is quoted twice in Scripture, that these angels led a rebellion against God because they wanted to intermingle with mankind. They wanted to be like humans. And specifically, they wanted to marry wives. And it's referenced vaguely in Genesis 6, if, if that's how you interpret that. I have my own thoughts. You've Base your own thoughts and your own opinions. I don't want to get into some weird territory here. I know this is really out there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Long story short, here's the, here's the point, all right? <laughs> Enoch was a prophet that God used because these angels rebelled against God, were cast down to the earth, and were banned from entering back into the presence of God. And as a result, realized that they had really messed up. They had no more connection to God. They had no more communication with God. They couldn't appeal to God. They couldn't appeal to his mercy or his forgiveness. They had been shut off from the presence of God, these angels. The Bible talks about this in Genesis chapter 6. And as a result, they came to Enoch, who was considered to be the most godly prophet on the earth. And so they couldn't go to God directly. Imagine this. These angels who were in the presence of God could no longer communicate with God. And so they did the next best thing that they could do after they realized they were shut off from heaven. They went to the most godly man to intercede for them. And in the book of Enoch, it tells the story that God was so upset with these angels, he says to them, you were supposed to be interceding for mankind, but now look at your sin has caused you to get so low to a place that now you're asking mankind to intercede for you. And the intercessor for these angels was this man, Enoch. He was a godly prophet. He was a godly man. And so that's kind of the story of Enoch that the Scripture doesn't fill in, but the book of Enoch, whether you believe it or not, it's up to you, fills this in. And so he was an interesting individual. Here's what it says. This is part of his preaching. It says in Jude, this is kind of quotes the book of Enoch. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the ungodly and all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way 
This is in the New Testament and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Uh, yeah, and that's, is that it? Verse 16, no, that's it. Go to 1 Peter, 2 Peter. For if God, this is the second quote of, Ju- of Enoch in the Bible, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, again, references the time of Enoch and Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what it is, what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived among them day by day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and he heard. Amen. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passions. He's referencing the story in Enoch. He quotes Enoch, and now he's who, the defiling of passion, despising with authority, bold and willful. They don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. And especially those who indulge in the... Uh, keep going, is that it? Verse 11? Nope. It basically goes on to say that God knows how to keep those who are righteous and God knows how to take care of those who rebel. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we need to recognize that, that God is faithful. Let's close with this, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I can smell the chili cooking. I wish I had more time, but here's the word from the Lord tonight for somebody. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, just like Enoch's faith was rewarded, amen, our faith tells us that God is going to reward our faithfulness in our diligence in serving God. Amen. Stand tonight. Amen. Amen. That's the word tonight. God sees where you are. God knows what you're going through. Nothing's going to be lost. Nothing's going to be forgotten. You just keep on living for God, just like Enoch for 365 years. He just, one foot in front of the other, week after week, day after day, faithful service to the Lord and God, and God rewarded his diligence. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our head. I want us just to make up our minds tonight.